as you're making your way back to your seats, anyone who's a visitor, anyone who's a visitor today, recent visitor, you know, you're welcome to stay, and we encourage you to stay for our English ministry luncheon every first Saturday of, first Sunday of the month, we have our English luncheon today, following service in the fellowship hall. Our passage today is from Galatians. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we, are, we may also, when we, are children, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. May the Lord bless the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. Please be seated. All right, well, good morning, everyone. I'm so uh, happy to uh, just really see that we are, as a church growing, I think as a praying church, and uh, the spring concert coming up above, um, so thankful for Avant, who is heading up our prayer efforts for that. Uh, I sincerely believe that we can have a great, beautiful concert, right? Beautiful music. Uh, we can have a lot of people in the audience, but if we don't pray this up, and if we're not soaking it up in prayer, I'm convinced we're not going to really see spiritual fruit. Uh, on the other hand, things can go kind of a little bit haywire, but if we're praying it up, I believe that God's going to work, and that's what we desire to see. Amen? Uh, we want to see God uh, at work. And so um, I just want to really encourage you and implore, implore you to uh, take that card and believe by faith what God can do through prayer. Um, only God can open up doors. Only God can so soften hearts. Uh, only God can work through the power of prayer. So uh, let's do that. And the men's retreat, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just totally looking forward to this. Uh, I think one of the things that I think thrills me about this upcoming men's retreat is that we have uh, three of our own brothers speaking to us. It's Charles, David, and Victor. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that they are stepping up to address us, encourage us as brothers in Christ. And honestly, this is what gives me one of the greatest joys is to see um, our, our own, very own, rise up and to, um, to just challenge us and to, what it means to fight in our relationship with God and uh, to fight for our families, to fight for purity, all these things. And so... Uh, please come out. It's going to be a great opportunity to uh, connect with some of the other brothers in the church, 
but uh, to really be challenged in a deeper way in your relationship with God as brothers in Christ. So uh, with that, I'm going to just ask you to join me in the word of prayer. And let's uh, pray as we go into this passage and ask the Lord to open up our hearts to it. And um, let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, uh, we know that only you alone have the power. Only you are the one who opens hearts. Only you are the one who brings your kingdom. Uh, only you save souls. Only you transform lives. And that's why we come before you, God. You know, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that Jesus was sent to free us from our own sin and to forgive us from our guilt. And God, we thank you that we can cry out to you as Abba, Father. And Lord, so we come to you and we ask, Lord, that uh, whether it's a men's retreat or the spring concert coming up, um, Lord, that you, by your power, you be the one at work to set people free, to bring people to know you. Lord, we ask now for your spirit to open up uh, our hearts to your word and let this word come live to us. Lord, help us to see what it means to be adopted as your children. And Lord, uh, let this great truth sink deeper into our hearts and let us live our lives in such a way and with confidence that you are our great loving Father in heaven who has redeemed us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This past Monday, um, I watched the uh, Kobe Bryant uh, life celebration uh, service on YouTube. And, um, you know, I got to be honest with you that I personally was not a great Kobe Bryant fan uh, when he was playing for the Lakers. And the reason why I wasn't such a great fan was just because I felt like um, he was a little bit too, like, yeah, it's just too kind of selfish, you know, with the ball, like all, he wanted to be a scorer, he wanted to be the person, he wanted to be the man, and everyone else was kind of his supporting cast. And I just, it kind of really put me off, to be honest with you, uh, to Kobe Bryant. And I'm sorry to offend some of you who are uh, big time Lakers. <laughs> however, however, um, after watching the uh, celebration, um, service, his life service, I actually grew to just really um, not only appreciate Kobe Bryant, but actually admire him on several levels. And um, honestly, by, you know, just uh, in the aftermath of his death and hearing about the stories of his life, uh, there's this whole different side of Kobe that I never really realized. And, you know, I got to confess to you that even watching um, the service on YouTube, it, it made my eyes very, very sweaty, okay? And uh, anyway, I was touched and moved on several levels. And one thing that I noticed as people were talking and sharing about Kobe's life was they weren't talking about what a great and awesome scorer in the NBA he was. Uh, you know, he was one of the best to ever play the game, but they weren't talking about his athletic heroics. That's not what was being highlighted at the service. Uh, what people shared one after another was his deep love for the people around him, how much he impacted the community, uh, how much he gave himself um, to the community by just trying to invest back and give back 
what he was given throughout his own life. And I think on a personal level, what really touched me or what was really impacting for me personally uh, was the testimonies of how loving and caring of a father he was to his children, to his girls. Right now, so you have this whole phrase, girl dad, right, girl dad, and uh, that's kind of the big thing. And um, they just talked about that all throughout, and then people would just come up, one speaker after another, just to say, um, love, you know, love the people around your life, but be a good father. Be a loving father. That was the mantra throughout. Um, there's something about that loving relationship between a father and his children. That beautiful picture that I think resonates with all of us. Uh, all of us who maybe had very loving fathers in our own lives, or maybe we didn't have such great fathers in our own life, but we wish that we had. Uh, some of you who are fathers right now, and the kind of father that you want to be to your children. But there's something about that unique relationship that touches us at very, very deep levels. As we've been talking about the gospel, and we've been going through the book of Galatians, um, the gospel we see in this passage gives us what we all long for deep in our hearts. It gives us, it touches us at the deepest levels. Last week we talked about the law and our relationship to the law and how the law it exposes our sin and our need for a Savior, and it leads us to Christ. And it shows us how to live our life in a way that honors God. And we talked about this idea that um, because of our sin and because of the exposure of our need for a Savior, that we are all justified by faith in Christ. That not only are you forgiven of your sins, but God... Even though we are guilty, even though we deserve to be condemned, he declares you to be righteous on the basis of what Christ himself has done for you and I. Now, if that's all that God did for us, that would be great, right? We're forgiven. We're declared righteous. And that would just cause us to say, praise God. I mean, that's amazing. But that's not all. Galatians tells us that God has taken it one step further than that even. That not only has his judge not only declared you to be righteous, but this judge has now said, I am going to adopt you into my very own family, and I am going to love you as my very own. This is what adoption is all about. Justification is a change of your legal status before God. It's a legal, uh, forensic terminology. But in adoption, your relationship with God fundamentally changes. God daily treats you with his utmost care and love. And that's why J.I. Packer, um, he wrote one of the best books outside of the Bible that I you know, that I've read called Knowing God. And J.I. Packer in this book, Knowing God, says, adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, not justification, by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with his acceptance of the future. 
is a primary and fundamental blessing is not in question, but adoption is higher because of the richer relationship that God, that God, uh, with God that involves. It's much greater than justification. He says, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. This is what we're talking about in adoption as children of God. And the gospel tells us that God has adopted us and given us this new position and privilege. Having said that, I want to say that oftentimes um, we hear this, but there's a great struggle between what we know to be true intellectually and what we feel in our heart emotionally, isn't there? I could tell you God loves you, and yet the daily reality of it doesn't really sink in oftentimes. There's a great chasm between our head and our hearts. So my interest as I'm studying this passage is to ask myself this question, well, how do we experience this? in practical ways. What does this actually mean for us? And this is why I want to talk about a little bit um, this morning. And by God's grace, I hope that uh, some of it begins to sink in a little bit deeper level. I, I just want to mention two things. One is that the way we experience adoption is through a greater family. And secondly, we experience adoption through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit reminding us, through a greater family and through the Holy Spirit. First of all, we experience it through a greater family. Look at chapter 3, verse 26, where Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Um, I'm just going to explain this a little bit here, understand what's going on. Some of us, we read this and we say, For as many of you, um, or in verse 26 it says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, a lot of times we read this, and especially in our society today, uh, we want to quickly correct this, and we say, no, 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 the, the correct terminology is we're children of God, right? That's, that's the more culturally, politically way of, uh, uh, correct way of saying it. Not sons of God, that, that sounds too sexist, right? Um, but if we don't understand the nuance of what Paul is trying to get at here, we're going to kind of miss the, um, the, the gloriousness of this truth. Uh, back then, daughters could not inherit their father's property. Uh, they were ineligible. And what Paul is basically saying, he's purposely using this phrase. He's not saying you are sons and daughters of God. He's saying you are sons of God to purposely say, but in Christ, um, you, in a sense, become fully eligible to inherit all that God wants to give us, all that, wants, that God wants to give you. And this is a pretty radical claim. Paul goes on to say in this verse, he, he talks about our fundamental change in our identity. He talks about these two analogies in verse 27, but he talks about baptized in Christ, and those who've been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. And these two pictures are really, um, are really important. They, baptism signifies this outward, external um, thing that we go through to signify the inward, inward transformation change that's taken place in our hearts because of Jesus. But to have put on Christ, what Paul is doing is he's using his clothing analogy to put on Christ. Why clothing? Um, in Jewish culture, when you graduated from childhood to manhood, you would be given a new set of clothes to signify that. 
Uh, so you put on clothing. I remember that when I got married, when Mimi and I got married, um, the, you know, this 25 plus years ago, that the only time I ever wore something called a Korean hanbok, which is, um, you know, this Korean style dress that you've kind of seen. It's very sort of shiny. It's very bright with clothes and all. Um, you know, you kind of wrap this sash around you. Uh, felt really kind of stuffy and uncomfortable and all that, right? But I was willing to do that um, because it signified something special that now I was le- leaving my single life to be enjoying to meet me, right? And it kind of signified this new sort of stage in our, our life together. And I don't know if you've noticed, but, you know, if you don't have the right clothing to anywhere, you really feel out of place, don't you? Like, wherever you go, if, if I don't have the right attire, right set of clothes, you just feel like you don't belong. Uh, clothing is oftentimes one of the first things that people notice about you when they see you. You know, it, it says a lot about the kind of person that you are. And what Paul is doing in this verse is he's contrasting all other identities. And he's saying that when you came to Christ, you have taken on this fundamentally new identity in Jesus. That you are now a child of God. You belong to God's greater family. Um, you're, he talks about there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We all want to put our identity into, into something. Or we all put our identity into some kind of group. Right? I, I'm, politic, I'm Republican or I'm Democrat or no, I'm neither of those. I'm independent. You know, I go against you know, those parties, whatever. But um, we all tend to put our identity into something, into some kind of group. But when you come to Christ... Your identity now fundamentally not only belongs to God, but it belongs to God's family. This is your new identity. One of the most joyful things that I have experienced as a Christian, I feel, is when I have traveled to various parts of the world. And different parts, uh, different countries, and even though... um, I barely know this person. They barely know who I am. If they are a Christian, there's this immediate sense of bond that we belong to one another. And there's a sense of warmth. And and it's amazing how deeply we can go into fellowship and talking about life and sharing these things um, without having known each other that long. And that's the power of God's love being displayed and being worked out into this new identity as a family of God. Some of you, I remember that when we started up our community groups, our CGs, some of you were asking the question like, uh, you, may, you may not have vocalized this out loud, but you're wondering in your hearts, is this really going to work? I mean, are they really going to get me? Right? Like, is you know, someone who's 10 years, 20 years older or 10 years younger than me, like, are they going to really understand what I go through? And what you have discovered through these community groups is even though you're very different from each other, is it does work. Why? Because the love of Christ in your midst. God's family and the Holy Spirit taking 
um, taking all of us together, and you have this, you and I have a greater commonality in Christ than we do any of these secondary differences, right? And I would say that it's not despite you and I our differences that make it work. It's not despite those things. It's actually because that you and I are very different that it works. This is what God wants you and I to experience. How do we experience adoption? How do we experience the love of God in a tangible kind of way? It's by investing in one another in God's family, in the church. God has given us this gift so that when you and I are hurting, when you and I are going through our uh, struggles and you and I are grieving and we're in pain or uh, we're celebrating and we're joyful or maybe spiritually we're just struggling and we don't know how to, we don't know how to take the next steps forward in our relationship with God. You not, God has given you brothers and sisters in Christ to say this is your identity. This is how you're going to experience God's love. He's given us one another so that we can experience God's love in tangible ways right? As you invest, you say, this is, these are things I'm going through. You begin to experience that. I, I was encouraged um, recently, you know, I won't embarrass this couple. They, you know, they, you know, I didn't ask for permission. I won't embarrass them, but uh, they talked about some family um, struggles that, um, that they've been going through trials not long ago, but just talking about in our CG last week, how they were able to experience the love of God in a greater way because they're able to just share these things. They, they feel prayed for. And I just thought, yes, this is exactly how you're experiencing your adoption as children of God, right? Through this greater family. So um, it's important. It's important that you and I are uh, intentionally and deliberately continually investing into one another's lives. And let me just say this. It's not even about so much, what am I going to get out of it? Right? Sometimes, a lot of times we ask, well, what am I going to get out of investing? Or what am I going to get out of going to these weekly CG? Or what am I, you know, um, I'm tired. What am I going to get out of it? But maybe it's not about what you're going to get out of it. Maybe it's about what God wants to do to use you to show his love to the people who need it. Maybe that's the reason. But as you do that, that God will show his love to you in different ways. But we have to have that mindset. And as you invest, as you say, it's not about me, it's not about what I'm getting, it's about how I can give, God will begin to help you experience uh, his love in a greater way. That's how it works. So it's, we experience it through the family of God and if we're not invested, then we are actually depriving ourselves um, in a significant way of something of what it means to be children of God. We're depriving ourselves of great spiritual blessing. So, that's the first way. Um, secondly, ex the way we experience our adoption is through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Now, I wish I could give you steps one, two, three about the Holy Spirit, but it's not that simple. But this is why the Holy Spirit has been given to us, Paul says. Look at verse, um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Paul says, I mean that the heir 
as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, to illustrate adoption, Paul is using this illustration of a young child that even though eventually he will inherit his father's uh, wealth and riches, until that time, he has to listen to and obey all the guardians, all the, um, the people who are over him, the trustees and guardians. And so in a sense, he's sort of like a slave. He's no, even though he's a child, he's in a sense in the same sort of position as a slave would be. Uh, this truth came home not long recently, actually, when Mimi and I, we took a few days. We went up to uh, Cambria, California, Central Coast, just to get away a little bit. And uh, we went to take a tour of a uh, visit of the Hearst Castle. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I just remember going there when I was really little um, and just feeling really bored by it. But then this time, like, it's, oh, man, what's all, all these facts? I just want to go home. I want to go back, whatever. But this time, I was, like, deeply, deeply fascinated. I just wanted to spend the whole day there. It's like, oh, like that art piece and the history behind this. Like, I just want to learn more about it. I'm absorbed and fascinated. But um, what's interesting about William Randolph Hearst, right, he's built the most famous castle here in the United States. And uh, when he was growing up, he was basically like, uh, you know, he had no freedom, right? He was under very strict guardianship, even though he was one day going to inherit his father's wealth. Uh, all these riches, but he was very confined. His life was, um, you know, very much dictated by his mother, in fact. And, uh, and then when he finally came of age, then he inherited all this, and then he built this famous castle. And what Paul is saying is, before we came to Christ, we were enslaved. Uh, we weren't free. We were under the law. And the law exposed our sin. We were in prison to sin, as we talked about. But as we came to Christ, we are now free. We have the Father. We have his inheritance. And when the fullness of time had come, Paul says in verse 4, um, at the perfect timing, all these promises that God gave, all the way dating back to Abraham, saying that, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And all these 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that would point to the seed, point to Jesus, the Messiah coming, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Um, God did everything possible in his power to adopt you into his family, to bring you to his own. I've had, Mimi and I have many friends who have adopted children. And our friends who talk about the adoption process, they talk about how rigorous, how thorough, how exhausting it could be. If to adopt a child takes enormous 
energy and finances. It, it costs like $30,000 plus just in terms of the fee itself. But these days there's screenings, there's fingerprint tests, there's background checks. They have to do home studies. And this process can sometimes take years depending on the country and the child. I mean, it's, it's, you, have to, you have to be all in, completely committed to go through this adoption process. And what Paul is saying is that God took enormous pains to adopt you and I. He did everything possible to bring you and I to himself. Jesus, God sent forth his son. Jesus, born of a woman, fully human, God's own son. He's fully divine, but born under law. He was the only one who's qualified to be the redeemer. He came under the law, lived this perfect life, qualified to redeem you and I. So God gave us these two gifts. He gave us Jesus, and then he gave us the Holy Spirit. When you and I put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes within our hearts. And this Holy Spirit reminds us continually that you and I are adopted children of God. This is what he does. Verse 6, Paul says, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What was Jesus doing? All throughout, when you see his ministry, his life on earth, he was constantly just talking with the Father. He had this tremendous childlike awareness and dependence upon his Heavenly Father. And when you and I are receive Christ or are united to Christ, that same Holy Spirit that caused Jesus to depend upon his Father does the same thing for us. As you go through your days, as you go through life, do you sense the presence of the Father with you throughout? Jesus redeemed you and I so that we would experience in a vital way God's love, his presence, his care in our lives all throughout, day after day, moment after moment. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. It's this childlike, unfettered, unfiltered, confident, free turning to God. And learning to be a child means that we have to unlearn a lot of things in our lives. We have to learn to unlearn our distrust, to unlearn our fears and our mistrust in all of those things that has come into our hearts because of our great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, when they turned away from God. One of, my, one of our friends, Mimi and I, as we talked about uh, before, they've adopted these two girls. And these girls um, have come from very, very abused abusive backgrounds. And as much as our friends are trying to just show their love and their care and they're doing everything they could possibly to show how much 
they are for them and doing everything the best that they can to, uh, to, to care for them, uh, these girls are resisting. And um, in fact, one of the girls is even threatening verbally back to these adoptive parents. And, um, you know, they'll, you know, one of the girls would just suddenly go into fit and the rage and start crying. And, and uh, you know, a lot of these symptoms that they are displaying or manifesting are symptoms of the fact that they came from very abused backgrounds prior. And they still have a hard time believing in their heart that our friends, these parents, are actually for them 100%, trying to just love them. There's still this fear and this mistrust. And this is oftentimes what happens with us in our relationship with God. Rather than living as a child, we oftentimes live as orphans or slaves, disconnected from our Heavenly Father. We're trying to go through our days and our lives as if everything depends upon you and I, rather than coming to God freely and learning to just cast everything upon Him. I want to show you very practically here. Um, how do you know? How do you know if you are functioning as a slave, functioning as an orphan, disconnected from your father versus if, you know, how you're relating to God as a child? There's, there's several different areas, but let's talk about obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. A slave, the slave mentality says, faith is trying hard to do good and be better to establish your own record of righteousness so that God and others will accept you. Right? You do everything you do. You, you, you're religious. You're, you're trying hard. Why? Because you still doubt that God has accepted you. But what is a child? A child is, to a child, faith is a discipline of remembering and living every moment as an undeserved sinner who is fully accepted as a child of God. We're undeserved, but we can rest in God's presence. For a slave, obedience focuses nearly completely on external behavior, cleaning yourself up morally. You and I are great at being able to change our behavior, aren't, aren't we? Yeah, we can cover things up. That's not the problem. But a child, for a child, obedience is seeking to please God first deep in your heart. Why? Because you're able to examine the motives of your heart. You're able to, to go um, into those places in your heart with the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, where am I living like a slave? Where am I being disconnected from you? Repentance. For a slave, repentance looks very begrudging. Admitting failure is too destructive for your self-image. So repentance is oftentimes the last resort. It's too painful. But for a child, admitting failure is a basis of, your, of a Christian self-image as a child, adopted child of God. And what does repentance do? It reminds you anew of God's love, His grace for you. Repentance is quick. It's willing because the Father's pardon and forgiveness are sure to me. I'm confident that God will forgive me. So I'm more easily able to identify sin in my life and quickly turn to God. 
It's not going to threaten who I am. In fact, it's going to increase my joy to do so. God is ready to meet you in your moment of failure. That's childlike repentance. For a slave, there's lots of hiding. Use strategies to hide your inner and outer failings from, your, from yourselves and other people. Uh, the worst thing is for people to, dis- to discover that you're weak or you're, you're a failure in some way. So what do you do? You, you obsess and you go into, you overwork or you overstudy and you put your uh, energies and your focuses and other things so that you don't have to, um, you can prove yourself or you don't have to think about these other things. But for a child, um, a child is open, transparent, free from having to put up a front. Integrity. A slave is controlled by people. A slave is controlled by expectations of what other people are thinking about you. And that becomes a real standard. So, um, you know, you're not, you're not, you're just constantly under this pressure, this burden. But for a child, integrity and courage are what's important. The only opinion that really counts in your life is your Heavenly Father's opinion. And so you can live in integrity to do what's right, even if it's going to cost you. Troubles in life. For a slave, troubles in life are, difficulties are just paybacks from God. Um, you, you view God as, oh, he's brought this trouble in my life. Why? Because, you know, I've done something really wrong. And so the result is just bitterness. But for a child, he, he or she learns to see trials as a fatherly, loving discipline. And each trial is preparing you for the future. You learn lessons and um, you are growing in patience through your trials. For a slave, troubles in life result in complaining and grumbling. Life is just unfair. This is not the way it should be, so... Um, so the only way you know how to deal with it is just to grumble about it. But a child lives in the assurance that the father both watches over my life and allows only what's for my ultimate good. Money and finances. A slave is consumed with financial and material security. Time and energy and thoughts are directed toward securing earthly treasures. Uh, there's a false sense of security that these treasures provide for my life. And so... Uh, you know, your ultimate kind of overarching life goal is constantly to work to the point where you can get yourself to financial security. This is, this is your life narrative. But for a child, you're able to be generous with your time, your material resources, trusting in your father who cares for you and provides for your needs. Right? God is the one who provides. Now, um, as you can see, understanding your adoption as children of God makes a tremendous difference in so many areas. When something goes wrong in your life, remembering the Holy Spirit helping you to remember your adoption as children, it means all the difference. And these days, you know, there's a lot of panic and there's a lot of fear about the coronavirus going around. You know, what's going to happen if I catch this, you know, and, you know, am I going to spread it? And uh, if it spreads all around, what's going to happen? And, um, you know, there's almost that panic mentality, right? Or you struggle at work and you're thinking, oh, man, I'm, I'm trapped in this job and um, there's no way out. And I'm stuck and, 
you feel like this is a dead end. You feel depressed about that. Or some of you are going through tremendous medical and health challenges. I mean, tremendous. And some of these challenges are threatening, are, are threatening your life. Uh, they're, not, they're threatening your, uh, your quality of life right now. Parenting. Sometimes you as parents, you just feel exhausted. You know, kids just screaming at your face all day, right? And there's no break from this. In those moments, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be reminding you of your adoption? What does it mean that in those moments, the Holy Spirit is in your heart helping you to say, Abba, Father, I am helpless. I am weak. I need you. And I trust that you're here right now with me, your loving care. This is what it means to experience your adoption in these moments. Not when you're strong, but when you're weak. This is adoption. A few weeks ago, um, a few of the brothers and I, we took half a day to just go away for a personal spiritual retreat. And this was a time for us just to come before God, just to be silent, to come away together. Um, a, a couple of these brothers, they took either a half day or even a full day of work off to be able to do this. And we just took this time to let God just examine our hearts on a deeper level, to come before God in deeper prayer, to say, Lord, this is, what I'm, this is what's really going on in my heart. I'm just going to be honest, and this is what's really happening. And I want to cast my fears. I'm going to cast my anxieties. I want to look at what are the, the idols that have been controlling my heart? What are the, the underlying idolatries that have been causing me this worry and pressure in my life? Um, but we just want to come before God, enjoy his presence, go deeper in repentance in our hearts. Uh, I got to say that for me, uh, it was not easy. It wasn't easy. And the reason why it wasn't easy is because um, even in my own life, just in past few months, there's just been so many things that have been happening. There have been um, health issues that have popped up into my family. There's been financial, uh, particular financial burdens that have crept up as well. Um, the whole church plant thing, to be honest with you, all the dialogue and all the uh, the emotional toil of it has just been wearing me a little bit thin, a little bit down. And uh, so there's just been a lot of different things that are happening. And for me, I have felt like a machine, you know, just wake up every day and there's a bazillion things on my to-do list. And there's these other things that I, I need to just kind of get through these things. And I've felt like, okay, I just need to learn to just plow through. But I felt disconnected many times from God. Um, it's easy for me to articulate a theology of sonship. It's easy for me to articulate a theology of the gospel. To say, this is what Christ has done. And this is how I've been adopted by God. But to get away and to be honest, to go into prayer, to really be honest with God, that's a whole different thing. And I think for you and I, some of you, you know, I think what we just need to do is we need to just learn to turn to our Abba Father and say, God, I'm just, 
here I am. I'm a, I'm a weak child of God, and I need you. I, I'm dependent. We need to just come before God with all your questions, all your doubts, all your fears, all your whatever it is. Say, Lord, I'm drowning, or I'm overwhelmed. I'm weak. And adoption, what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit is working in you and I, our hearts, to constantly come before God with that freedom. As we partake this Sunday of this Lord's table, we remember the reason we can call out to God as our Father. And the reason why we can call God our Heavenly Father is because on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, God the Father forsook his own son, Jesus, on the cross. Why? So that you and I, God will never forsake us. God will never leave us. Jesus was willing to go to the cross to be, to be deserted, to be lonely, to be isolated, so that you and I will never be alone. That God will always be with us. That we can always turn to God and he will always hear us. We never have to say, why have you forsaken me? You may feel it, but the truth is, is that God is always with us. His loving care never leaves us for one moment. We're going to pass out um, these elements, and today we're going to do things a little differently. Rather than having you come forward, as, <laughs> as you can see, uh, we've put out some very detailed pictures and visual images uh, for you, uh, you know, to just in case. So bend the tab downward, you know, as you take this and peel back the airtight seal to eat the unleavened wafer and then put back the second seal to drink the juice. Okay, so it's a little bit complicated, I know, so we, we got this. But please remain uh, seated and the ushers are going to come out and we're going to hand this to you. And this time we're going to have to do this together. So uh, please wait for my cue and then we'll partake of the Lord's table together. If you're baptized, um, you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to take of this table. Okay, so with that, the ushers, uh, if you could come forward.